0: Hey, friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm Andre. And I'm Trish. And we're your hosts. And today we have a very special guest, writer, storyteller, speaker, curator of joy and healing, author of the NAACP Image Award winning book, Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience and Restoration. And then they came from mine, healing from the trauma of racial violence. Tracy Michelle Lewis-Jiguetz is with us. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us. How are you doing today?
1: I am well and I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We're excited to have you here. Uh, you've written uh, you've written a wonderful book. Uh, multiple books. We did not There's mention so many. That. books. Tracy is the author of six 16 books?
2: 22? 22, 22 books? Actually, I can't <laughs> conceive of that. I, Andre told me that number before we got on. I was just like, "No, I don't understand how do you do. How, have you write that many books? I'll working. I'll writing. Yeah. So, the
0: honor, so the honor is really ours. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for sharing it with us. Well, we want to talk to you about your your latest titles, uh, your last two titles, and whatever else you want to talk about with us today. But let's start with Black Joy. Yes. Uh, we know that you wrote an essay that was so widely received that it that this book came out of it. Could you tell us about what was going on when you decided to write that essay and its transformation into the book Black Joy?
1: Yes. Um, so interestingly enough, I entered the writing of that essay on joy from grief. Um, I had spent the last, I think, the year prior, and so twenty, late twenty nineteen, um, dealing with some illness, and then in twenty eighteen. I lost a family member to racial violence um, in Mm. Louisville, Kentucky, a shooting that occurred there at the Kroger grocery. And um, I was doing DEI work, diversity, equity, inclusion work on the campus where I was teaching. And we were getting a lot of hostility and pushback. And I was just absolutely done. (laughs) And Mm. my uh, therapist actually asked me the question, Tracy, what does joy feel like in your body? And Mm. I realized that I couldn't answer her. I knew mm. I had some understanding of happiness, but I didn't I really couldn't locate joy. And so I began yeah. this excursion, if you will, <laughs> excursion um into joy um and my daughter and I happened to be uh in our backyard dancing in the rain. Um uh, this was during a contentious election season mm-hmm. and this idea of black joy as resistance had been in the news and people were talking about that. And I began writing about it. um, And just was fortunate enough that the Washington post book that picked that piece up. And that led to all the things, I mean, it was the summer of 2020. So we know what was happening then. Um, And and so I was wrestling with grief, even as I was exploring joy. Mm -hmm. And that led to some of the most, I think, liberating writing that I've done my entire Mm -hmm. life,
0: which ultimately led to the book. Yeah. You tell, you tell that story in the book about uh, that moment with your daughter and Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful. And I think what I'm hearing you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you, you started writing this kind of as an exploration into Joyce. You weren't feeling like, okay, I've got this down. Mm. People need what I got. You know, <laughs> I am not an <Batman's> expert.
1: <laughs> I am a work in progress. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, what was that like? Um, actually seeking that out. Were you? Did you feel like you were a student of joy as you were writing the book?
1: Yes, I. I still think I'm a student of joy. I, even after writing the book and talking about it all across the country, um, <sighs> I still am a student of joy. Joy surprises me every day. Black joy in particular surprises me every day in its Mm -hmm. resilience, um, in its ability to heal. Um, And so I was absolutely a student of joy. And my, you know, I'm a very somatic person. So like that question of my therapist of where is it in your body? Like I spent a lot of time just there. Mm -hmm. Like what does joy even feel like, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, And being more intentional about, paying attention to where, when I was experiencing joy, what I was feeling in that moment. Wow! And so that was the work for me and it continues to be the work for me. Um, and then I started talking to um, family members and then I started reading mm-hmm. about my ancestors mm-hmm. and the way they navigated joy in the midst of, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that all kind of came together in what I was writing. Yeah.
2: How do you differentiate joy and happiness and and those the the relationships between those and grief? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, I think of happiness as this very temporary experience, right? This response to pleasure that we have in the in a moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I go to Six Flags and I ride the roller coaster and I'm having a great time with my family. And in that moment, all of that physiological stuff is happening in my body. The dopamine and the serotonin and all that stuff is jumping and I'm feeling really good. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a moment in time that can change in the very next moment. Right. Like in the Mm -hmm. very next moment, something terrible could happen and my my mood will shift because of that. I think of joy as an always present undercurrent Mm -hmm. that lives in our bodies, in our hearts, in our souls. And honestly, I, you know, I use the example of the enslaved Africans who, you know, still knew the hand, you know, created hand games and Mm -hmm. innovated. On the plantation, in the mist, when Black happiness was not present at all, Black joy existed. Mm. There was an undercurrent of something that could not be taken, could not be stolen. And that my, you know, my grandmothers and my great grandmothers knew how to move that around, right? Sitting in mm. church, rocking back and forth in the church, moving that in their bodies, talking out to the preacher, right? Call and response, mm. All of these are actions that show that there is a presence of something you know that exists in the same vessel as rage and grief mm-hmm. and joy. Mm-hmm. all of that is existing in the same uh space, right, yeah. and I think for me, it was the embracing of that. It was like, oh, it's okay to simultaneously you know be grieving and also be laughing and dancing with my daughter in the backyard. Mm-hmm. But those two things, I think for a long time, I felt guilt. I felt like I yeah. didn't have permission mm-hmm. to experience that. Um, and so it be, it turned my happy moment, that that particular moment of happiness, mm-hmm. into an ever-present joy that I could access even at the worst moments. Yeah. When I got to mm-hmm. you know, because I knew now what joy felt like If something terrible happened, I got some bad news or I didn't meet my deadline or whatever was going on. I knew how now to access that feeling in the same way that if I said, what is anger and rage feel like? Yeah, you would know what what to think to to access that emotion pretty quickly.
0: I already feel once you once you said it, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. You
1: know how to get to it. Right. Mm. But so many of us, I think um, and there's a lot of reasons for that you know, have trouble accessing joy in the same way. We we got mm. grief. We got rage. We we can handle that because that's so ever present, especially in today's world. Mm-hmm. Joy is a little bit harder and we, we feel a little tentative about accessing it because we don't know if we should. Mm. And I think what our ancestors have all long told us is, yes, I I, you can hold those two. That's what joy does. I think that's the difference. It, you can hold both simultaneously. Yeah.
2: Why do you think we have a more difficult time accessing it? And do you think it is because we don't think we are supposed to?
1: Yeah. I think that's one um, reason that people have is that, that it's costly for some mm. of us. Joy is cost. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think there's something in, you know, I'm very much a believer in kind of epigenetics and this transgenerational thing that happens. Yeah. And there's a part of us, I think, that um, worries that if too much joy mm-hmm. is encouraging the, the shoe to drop. Right. It's it's putting mm-hmm. us in a vulnerable. There's a vulnerability. Right. Um mm-hmm that comes with joy that requires us to surrender to the moment. Right. Like, so one of the things I love to do is I love to go swinging. Like I I go swinging with my daughter at the park, I should say like going to the park. Right. And, and when I'm in, I'm going back and forth and that bilateral stimulation is happening and I'm, you know, getting air. Um, there's still this, thing in the back of my head that says something bad is going to happen because I'm experiencing this joy in this moment. And so, yeah, I think some of us don't think that we can afford joy. Mm-hmm. I think some of us feel guilt when we have joy. We, don't, we won't give ourselves permission to surrender to joy. Um, and the flip side of that is I think some of us have just become awfully familiar and comfortable with the pain and the anger and those other emotions. I think those emotions are reliable and that we can, we can count on those. Mm. Um, Joy is willy nilly sometimes, right? Like Mm. it pops and it shows up here and there. And, you know, um, and we, we, because many of us, I know I speak for myself, want to be in control, right. And want to manage our circumstances and our feelings and our, you know, all of that. I think um, joy can feel unwieldy, and so mm-hmm. we resist it, um, not knowing that the thing that heals us is on is is yes, acknowledging and embracing the rage and the grief, but also embracing yeah. and acknowledging the joy. Like there's healing on the other side. It's joy. Black joy in particular is not just resistance. Mm-hmm. Which that's the catchphrase. That's what everyone talks about. Yeah, I like to say it's resistance and resilience and restoration. It has to be all three. Resistance still centers the thing that you're resisting, right? I'm standing in defiance. I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna dance at this protest because I'm standing in defiance of these people doing this thing to me. Mm -hmm. Fine, great, we need that. And also it is resilience, it's the bounce back, it's the innovation and creativity that comes from it. And also it's the way that we heal, whether we solve every social justice issue out there
0: or not I appreciate you making that point because I keep saying to people I don't want everything to be revolutionary I don't want everything (laughs) to be and I don't want everything to be resistance, even if (laughs) it is I just I don't want you know I come from an evangelical background where everything we (laughs) did had to be justified by scripture so it's like Mm. it's in the bible so everything I do I have to prove that somehow I'm on task for Jesus Right. <laughs> and uh, and so, for some reason, when when people make everything resistance, it just makes me like, okay, cool. But does it have to be for it right. to be, you know, worthwhile, valuable, whatever? So I appreciate you making that point. It's um, always an right? Yes, yes. So we're we're about halfway through, and I want I want to make sure that we talk about your latest title. Mm-hmm which deals with healing from the trauma of racial violence. How did you go from Black Joy <laughs> <laughs> to all right now? Uh, they came for mine. Tell us about yeah. that.
1: You know, it's interesting because I, I realized that I could not have written then they came for mine had I not done Black Joy first meaning mm-hmm. that I was so deep in my grief and my rage at the loss of my family member. You know, a white man decided to walk into Kroger grocery in Louisville, Kentucky and decided that black people would die that day. And one of those individuals was my elder cousin, cousin, aunt Vicki um, Lee Jones, um, who he shot and killed in the parking lot that day. And it has changed my family. It has changed everything for us. Mm. Um, And so I think had I not gone on this exploration of joy and have found a way to access joy, there was no way that I could then turn around and tell the hard truths to particularly the church um, Mm -hmm. and particularly, more specifically, um, white evangelicals about Mm -hmm. their complicity in this kind of thing. There was no way that I was going to be able to talk to black and brown folks about how we heal regardless. There was no mm-hmm. way had I not actually done a little bit and I'm still on that journey, but have at least mm-hmm. began that healing work myself. And so then they came for mine um really was, you know, me thinking about how for years I'd been writing about social justice issues. I'd been writing about race and reconciliation and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, like all of these things, but it was always in the abstract. It was always Uh, something that was happening that I was reading about, seeing on my timeline, responding to and it's something very different when it's concrete and lands in your lap when it happens to you and your family. And so um, that sort of began like, you know, my confrontation with my faith Mm -hmm. Um, Confrontation with what it means to be a believer, my thoughts about how the church um, responded or did not respond. And so all of that kind of came together as I was writing this particular book, book, which is specifically focused on the faith communities and Mm -hmm. is really kind of hardcore, like something is not working here. If this wow. is not biblical as biblical as you think it is yeah. and how do we you know you're expecting forgiveness and reconciliation without accountability mm. and that's not working
0: <laughs> so you're so you're speaking to a christian audience in this book
1: in that book yes and that wow. book i'm speaking directly to um a christian audience believers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um people of faith Um, Mm -hmm. Two audiences really are kind of happening simultaneously. It's Mm -hmm. particularly those who call themselves people of of faith who um, happen to also identify as white. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also black and brown folks who are traumatized and re-traumatized over and over again, Mm. images of racial violence with the experiences of racial violence and are figuring out how to heal, how Mm -hmm. to how to live in the midst of, so these are like yeah. two audience happening simultaneously in mm-hmm. this book. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And they're often together, you know, there's so many churches where like, I mean, that was my church. Our church was black and Brown and like diaspora diaspora. Yeah. But because it was an evangelical church, it was never led by any people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, we might've had mm-hmm. a black music minister. Right. So it was still mm-hmm. white space, you know, right. um, so yeah, I can imagine a lot. Of, I can imagine a lot of people getting a, a lot out of a lot out of this, and this is yeah. coming out next year.
1: It, it's already out. It came no, out this September. is the
0: one. Okay, yeah, I'm all no, over it the place. So
1: it's, it's no worries because I dropped two books in one year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so can't wrap their mind around that. They're like, oh no, it's coming out. It's not, no, no, it's already out.
0: <laughs> this is the one that is out.
1: Yes, this is the one out that is in out. September uh, last year. Yes.
0: So what have you found, you know, for um, Black people, people of color? What does that journey of healing from that trauma? And I'm sure that a part of that is religious trauma layered in there. um, Yes. What have you found has been helpful for us who are looking exactly for that answer? Like, that's the question we're asking. How do we how do we deal with what happened to us in these spaces?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind and that I write about in the book is um, empathy and self-compassion. Because I think what happens is, especially, and you know, being in evangelical spaces, that there is this tendency to override the very real and and visceral emotions that one has Mm -hmm. in response, right? So it's like, oh, well, not all white people now it's it's oh well that was so long ago or Mm -hmm. oh so our lived experiences aren't acknowledged and aren't um contended with right and a lot of times so what we our response is because we have to navigate these spaces is to you know push those things down or to set it aside just so we can survive these spaces that we're in and i think what what healing comes when we can um, allow ourselves, give ourselves some self-compassion, allow ourselves to feel and not to feel, to feel the emotions, but not to feel like we have to rush to forgiveness and reconciliation mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's what tends to happen is mm-hmm. we seem to be forced yeah. to say, you know, yeah. I forgive, I'm sorry. And, you know, oh, I, I forgive this person for this thing that they've done. We are We are pushed to that Mm-hmm. Um, out of some really skewed and distorted reading of scripture about yeah. forgiveness 70 times seven and mm-hmm. all of you know, turn the other cheek and all of these kinds of things. And I think um, you know, these emotions that God has given us, <sighs> right, to feel, to be outlets for the mm-hmm. pain need to be expressed, yeah. need to have space and room to be contended with. And so I think the first step is al- giving ourselves permission to, to be human, right. And to experience the full range of emotions that come with this kind of violence. Mm-hmm. I think also is naming it as violence. Yeah. Naming it as whether it's physical violence, psychological violence, emotional or spiritual violence, naming it as for what it is, because once we can name it and we are as, especially black folks, we are, um, once we name a thing, mm-hmm. it, it somehow becomes more concrete, right? Yeah. And we, we would decide to give somebody a nickname. We would decide like <laughs> that, that, that sticks, right? Yeah. Um, we create a whole genre of music. It becomes that thing, right? It mm-hmm. may evolve, but we, we've named it as something that's ours. And I think it's right. important to name the violence so that we then have a point of reference to be able to begin that healing work. And then not be afraid to um, have prayer and therapy, have church yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the books that we read um, to heal, have self-care, but also community care, right? Mm-hmm. And to, you know, return to the village, if you will, and to mm-hmm. create those spaces for ourselves to be able to get those emotions out and talk and all those kinds of things. I think for black and brown folks, that's where we start. Self-compassion, empathy, community care, um, full expression of our human emotions, um, all of those things. And most importantly, allow ourselves to not be rushed into forgiveness and reconciliation Mm -hmm. before there's been accountability on the side of the perpetrator or oppressor. Mm -hmm. And also, um, before we are, have reckoned with it ourselves.
2: What do self-care and community care look like to you? (sighs)
1: Um, I can say self-care for me. I like to call it soul care because self-care to me, I think because it's such a buzzword can look like me taking a bubble bath or me going to massage. I I love all those things. So I will do Mm -hmm. all those things. But I think soul care is a little, like a little bit deeper than that. And then when I'm tending to my soul Meaning that I will rest, I will get the, the amount of sleep that I need, I will eat well, I will take my daily mm. walk, I will meditate, I will pray. These are these are kind of soul care things. I think soul care, self-care, those things live, should live. I hate to should people. I invite people to think about, you know, it living in tandem with community care. And community care can really be anything. I can tell you when um when my cousin was murdered, um, community care looks like two friends of mine showing up at my door with um, wings and Oreo cookies because they know that at the time, I'm a pescatarian now, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was my thing. And they showed up at my door and one of my friends, you know, danced and flossed at the time with my daughter. <laughs> and we sat and we watched television together. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation Um, about what happened but their presence there is a form of community care the fact that they Mm -hmm. thought enough to go and oh Tracy loves Oreo cookies let me go grab get some Oreo cookies for Mm her let me go and sit with her and not necessarily unpack what happened in this moment but to be present for her so that when she needs to weep when she needs to rage when she needs to dance when she needs to feel all that she feels we can be of support to her that was my That's a vivid um, image of community care for me. But Mm -hmm. it it, I mean, it takes any number of forms.
0: Yeah. Well, we're we're running pretty close to time. So I want to I want to first say um, just thank you for the generosity of your story. You know, I'm sorry that you lost your cousin. um, To racial violence in that way. Thank you. And um, I'm curious, as I am with every guest, that is. That dares to do this work, what keeps you going?
1: Hmm. Actually, it's interesting you ask me that because I've been thinking about that lately. Hmm. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is that little feisty 12 year old that's downstairs right now. I think Hmm. um, the idea that my healing is connected to hers and that somehow as I do this work and as I do this work for myself and for my community and for my people that somehow it will impact how she sees the world how she is able to navigate the world is so important and so critical and also I have to look backwards and I look at my mother that's another thing that keeps me going because I know Mm -hmm. that She didn't have it all together. She didn't know all the things. She didn't have the language that I have for certain things. And yet still my healing is very much connected to hers too. And so what she gets to see in me, as long as she's on this side of glory, you know, is healing for her. So I'm, I'm, I'm very moved and very driven by legacy and the healing that can happen transgenerationally for my family and for all of us.
0: Well, thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Um, Thank you we so much. appreciate the work that you do. Appreciated this conversation. Should you want to add anything before we sign off?
2: No, I I, I appreciate you sharing um, your story with us, and I think Andre and I are both in a space of really navigating um, grief and joy, and learning how to to hold space yeah. for everything. And so, all of these conversations, therefore. They're for the podcast. They're for the listeners. But at the end of the day, it's because like we're all trying to figure out how to do this work and yeah. um, and to be able to to keep joy because we all deserve to have that. Um, and so so also on a personal level, I think we're really grateful yeah. to to get to speak with you.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. We get so much out of doing this, which is great. Yeah.
1: Thank you both for the work that you do. Um, I love to give folks their flowers while I'm talking to them. Just thank you so much for all the work, for the podcast, for the books, for everything that you're doing. I appreciate you and I, you know, am thankful and grateful for you. So I want to just say that. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast. Once again, our podcast is brought to you by our generous patrons at Patreon, partly. (laughs) And if you want to be a part of creating this uh, type of great content, you can always look it up at patreon.com slash Andre Henry. It will be in the show notes and we're going to hand it over to Ross and he will tell you everything else you need to know about finding more of Tracy's work about how to find Trish and myself. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trisha's is at Trisha's Music, that's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok. And at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com/andrehenry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.